Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is Stefan Binkowski from the podcast with just a quick message before we get into the main show to let you guys know that we recorded this week's show hours before the DFB decided to part ways of Oliver Bearhoff. Uh, and although that doesn't extremely date the show, uh, we obviously can't make reference to it because we didn't know it was about to happen. Having said that, we still think a good 95 or to 99% of the show is extremely relevant. Uh, and yeah, so we haven't really changed much, but I just want to let you guys know that we are aware that Beerhoff has left the DFB, but at the time of recording, we did not. Uh, so yeah, enjoy the show. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gelb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. We're allowed to say that again because this is a Bundesliga podcast, not a World Cup podcast. The World Cup is over for Germany, more or less. But um, yeah, I'm Manuel Feit. He's Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Um, safe to say we will have to talk about the World Cup a little bit today. Yeah, but with a little less um, anger and frustration in our voice, perhaps. A little less ranting, too. Um, we've had a good weekend off, had a few beers, few glasses of wine, got to relax. Um, I went for a big, you know, country walk. I was in, I was in the forest for about three hours on Sunday, just, nice. you know, just debriefing myself. And I was like, okay, I'm now finally ready to talk about German football again without, you know, wanting to rip a small puppy apart, which is always <laughs> good. <laughs> no, uh, it never got that bad. But yes, ready to take things with some fresh perspective again. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Um, we had a chat on WhatsApp on Saturday where I was like, we're talking about the underlying numbers and you just said to me, chill. Um, and <laughs> I did exactly that. I jumped on my bike and went for a two and a half hour bike ride uh, in almost zero degrees weather. <laughs> it's cold, but it was really good for my head uh, just to clear it all out, have some thoughts about everything that's going on. Um, but also I think sometimes perspective matters, right? You put like a good 48, 72 hours behind. We, th that's why we did the reaction podcast right away mm. after the game. I think that's really important to have those fresh thoughts, but then also to put everything into perspective. And I think that's almost as important as like a fresh show right after like a reaction, right? I think going back and then looking at it again and sort of with a new perspective on it, um, kind of helps at least that's how i feel how about you yeah absolutely i mean we yeah we did kind of talk about uh things over the weekend and it was quite intriguing to watch the media kind of react to it and and how the german media have just been kind of covering the world cup since germany got knocked out um you know i thought i thought it was actually quite telling that there's been so much uh intrigue in jude bellingham and how well he's doing for england um you know you know, I think it was Phil Foden who maybe said after the game that you know he could be he could become, you know, one of the best uh, midfielders in the world. 
and it was yeah. covered in a lot of the German press as if he was actually German. You know, it was quite intriguing. I thought that was quite interesting. But he's obviously a big ambassador for the Bundesliga, and without Germany there, I guess a lot of the attention does fall on him. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we're not here to talk about Jude Bellingham. He's doing very well, but he'll have plenty of people talking about him. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just I think it's really interesting just to kind of now discuss the um, fallout from that World Cup and and the kind of mm. battles that have been happening in Frankfurt and the DFB and stuff since then. Yeah, um, lots to go over. We we should do all of that right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And is your continued source for all sports wagering information. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. That's it, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Battles is a good term for that, actually. I mm. had a moment to think about it during that short break here. Um, battles is a really good way of doing it. It's kind of interesting, before we, we, we dive into it, I find it really interesting how the DFB, the Deutsche Fußballbund, the, the Football Federation, right? Mm. And the DFL, the Deutsche Fußballliga, the entity that runs the first and second division in Germany. So the Bundesliga, essentially, right? The Bundesliga is the first and second division. Just want to make sure these terms are clear. So the DFB is the football federation. The oh. DFL is the Bundesliga. But what I find is really interesting, those two entities are completely separate, technically, right, Stefan? Oh. Um, but Germany exits the World Cup. And it feels like these entities are completely intertwined. Everything that's been going on over the last 72 hours since Germany's World Cup exit seems to be completely intertwined in, in, in German. We have this nice saying, the fish stinks from Kopf. You know, the fish always stinks from the head or rots from the head is another translation for it. Mm. And it seems like this is one where the heads of German football seems to be the ones rolling first. And, and this isn't just at the federation level, but also at the league level. And I find the one thing that's really kind of starting to come out here is that the DFL might fire their current president, Donata Hopfen, who was just appointed as mm. uh, Christian Seifert's replacement less than a year ago. Um, because of the way the league is unhappy, the way the, way the league has been handling the digitalization process, right? Mm. Um, but also some statements that she made regarding 50 plus one. And um, the, I think the biggest plunder was the one about maybe putting friendly game, uh, putting league games in Saudi Arabia, right? Mm. Um, but it's interesting because when this, this news broke, I've actually spoken to a few people working for German clubs over the last few weeks um, as part of my US trip. And I'm not going to say who it is, but you know, everyone I spoke to, everyone seemed to be kind of unhappy with how the league was led. 
Yeah. And all everyone just said, look at how Christian Seifer has moved into a different role now working with smaller sports, how he's quickly reforming those smaller sports, how he's putting them on a strong digital footing, how he's able to um, share content on social media. And this was actually one thing that was brought up and something that we have actually complained about, um, or quite a few people have complained about the fact that you can't share digital content on social media platforms, mm. uh, Bundesliga content, right? And it seems to be no. a huge disappointment on how the game is spread. And it's, no, I find it no, interesting only that, that now... Sorry, Manu, just mm-hmm. to jump in there. It's an important thing that I think a lot of German football fans don't realise. Not only can you not share content from games, from German yeah. football games, uh, Bundesliga games on on, on uh, social media, but the league has invested in a digital company that actively seeks out people who upload these things and gets the tweets deleted and potentially your Twitter yeah. account banned. So it's not easy it's not even as if, you know, you tweet out, Wow, look at this goal that Kramer scored for Hoffenheim mm-hmm. this week and you tag the Bundesliga or something. Uh and then they you know, when one of the guys on the lunch break just reports it, they have invested huge sums of money in a digital company to yeah. ensure that these things don't happen, which, you know, is just draconian in my opinion but anyway sorry i'll let you continue yeah and it's actually interesting that you bring that up because i mean you talk to people that work within the dfl um a lot of people have left recently right um Mm. including in in leading put people in leading positions to to join cyphert in his new endeavor which tells you a lot i think um everyone was kind of forward thinking and what i've been told the feeling in the atmosphere in frankfurt has been one of very old school, conservative, not very progressive. Um, and so I guess that is now where the league is kind of realizing that they have to change a few things. Um, I did like some of the ideas that were brought forward by Donata Hopfen. Um, we talked about this, the idea that you maybe instead of um, bringing in foreign investment or investment into the individual clubs that you kind of circumnavigate 50 plus one and, um, you know, sell the rights packages instead because they own all the rights packages throughout, right? Not like mm. other leagues. Uh, mm. Some of the other leagues have already sold off some of these packages. The Bundesliga has not. Although they are talking they about seeking... that, though. Mm-hmm. Sorry? They are talking about doing what La Liga have done, for example, in terms yeah. of selling off the future rights. But yeah, sorry, continue. And that would have been something in the region of 20 billion euros, right? Uh, mm. Which would be a huge cash injection for the Bundesliga and the individual shareholders, which is the 36 clubs. I did like that idea because it's probably easier to sell that than to tell the individual Bundesliga teams and their massive fan bases to to bring in foreign investment. Um, and interestingly enough, it, all made me, it almost feels like maybe that the clubs are asking now for more permission when it comes to 50 plus one. Mm. Uh, Freddy Bobic was, was someone really outspoken of maybe um, curtailing 50 plus one has been, is one of the people, you know, apparently involved in this uh, palace revolution at the DFL. So <laughs> um, that's a good way of putting it. But as all of this comes on the back of the national team exit, right? And I think what's really fascinating about that is that we might have had this anyways, but I think it all like this exit accelerated everything, Stefan, mm. because all of a sudden you all of German football is in a crisis mode. German football, and I think you want to speak about that in a bit as well. There has been things put in place already as early as 2018 after the last exit to reform football mm. in Germany, but. 
I almost feel like before we even get to the DFB, I think the clubs, this was a good shot um, shot at them to just say there is something really basically wrong about the way the league operates, about the way talent is produced and the way for German clubs um, are falling behind to uh, in comparison to other leagues. And I mm. think maybe this is this is just accelerated everything here. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think what we've basically had here is obviously, you know, nature in which Germany have been knocked out of the World Cup has been quite embarrassing, to put it lightly. Um, and yeah. it has reflected very poorly on, you know, on German football. Uh, I thought I there's a few interesting things going on here. I think, um, I think the reason the DFL have been dragged into this uh, is because... The DFB, uh, so essentially the German FA, I think, have wanted to kind of emphasize that everyone has to take a share of the blame here. And by that, they mm. mean it's all well and good that you guys can criticize us for the coaches that we hire or the coaches that we don't sack in time or you know the tactics that Hansi Flick plays or the players that he calls up. But you know, at the end of the day, we're not producing good enough players. And I thought Hansi Flick was actually quite good at almost cryptically making this point clear when he singled out Jamal Musiala as you know the one player that he thought um, not only the one player that he thought passed um, got through a tournament with pass marks, but he also heralded him heralded him as the kind of future of the German national team and how German mm. football has to produce more players like that. And for anyone who works behind the scenes in German football. Uh, will know that what he's basically saying there is the way that we have been producing players isn't good enough and we have to stop producing players, quote-unquote German players, perhaps, in, in the very modern sense, I'll say that, not not in the classic yeah. sense. Um, you know, these very simple, templated, tactical, tem um, technical players uh, who can all play very, you know, clever, not very clever, sorry, but very safe technical football uh, and what he was basically saying there, or what was he alluding to there, was we need more kind of risk takers, we need more flair players, we need more wingers, we need more forwards, we need more fullbacks. And basically, the entire system that German football is built upon, as in, you know, the much celebrated youth academies and youth teams and youth coaches, um, he's like, that all has to change. And this is something that we've talked about ourselves on this yeah. show over the last season or so. We've talked, we've we've been blowing the trumpet or, you know, um, call it ringing the alarm bell for, you know, the lack the 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 lack of genuine coaches that are coming through. Uh, I think from and these coaches all have these all these coaches all come from the same place as the as the players. They all come from the youth academies, mm -hmm. and you only have to look at that, the top six sides in German football, and you'll see that. Just about every single one of them relies on flair players from abroad. They rely on central defenders from abroad. They rely on you know forwards from abroad. Uh, abroad for the most part, it's only certain kind of positions that the German academies are actually pushing players through that that, that play well in. So that's why I think the DFL have been dragged into this because the DFB want to make it clear that you know it's not just our fault. We can only work with the tools that we have, and the tools that we are handed come from the youth, from the youth academies in German football. Um, my newsletter tomorrow, and, and thank you for alluding to it, so I can kind of get this plug in. <laughs> will 
look at the changes that the DFL have been put, or rather the DFB have been trying to put into place and have been trying to get the clubs themselves to follow. And that emphasis, and that, and that's a very clear emphasis on more or less ripping up a lot of what was established during, you know, what has been come to known as Das Reboot, you know, and how things have to change um, and how going forward the kind of players that Germany will hope to produce will actually be very different from the players that currently are in this national team. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, I, I can't really add anything to the Hopman story because it's not something that I've really been chasing yeah. at all. I know you have, but the only thing I would say is that we have seen a lot of kind of club CEOs speak out over the last year and a half over the overall running of German football. I remember I interviewed Fernando Caro, who's the Bayer Leverkusen mm-hmm. CEO for The Guardian last year, and he was very, very vocal about the lack of you know, innovation and the lack of kind of creative thinking in terms of trying to sell the Bundesliga's TV rights abroad. You know, he was basically saying it's all well and good that Germany has, what, 80, 90 million million people who they can sell domestic rights to, but when it comes to international rights, the Bundesliga really struggles in that regard, and he's saying just not enough work being done in that. Um, You know, there's also been I think it's also the uh, the Union Berlin uh, chief executive as well, if I'm not mm. mistaken. Uh, I'll see if I can maybe f- pull up his comments. Um, yeah, here we go, actually. Uh, Oliver Runert said, the whole system just doesn't fit anymore. We are in a bad position in the DFB as a whole, in a national team from top to bottom, in the youth area we have, in my opinion, in the youth area we have, in my opinion, made many wrong decisions in terms of personnel and structure for years. Uh, when you talk about personal consequences, you also have to consider the management level. You have to address that clearly. So he's actually, he's very clearly pointing the finger at DFB there. So that's a little different from the DFL and Hopfman. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do appreciate um, if uh, listeners right now are struggling with all these um, <laughs> abbreviations. But um, yeah. the only thing I'd really add to this, and it's also something that we've talked about before in general, is that there is, in my opinion, a general kind of malaise in terms of how comfortable uh, and how how many people are comfortable at certain clubs in German football. You know, these clubs yeah. are often, because they're run like membership associations and because, you know, people are voted in and they keep their jobs and because there's all these kind of bureaucratic structures in place, there are a lot of people uh, who are on boards and on and, and, and you know pulling the strings at some of Germany's biggest clubs, and they have been doing that for the last ten or fifteen years, and they're almost entirely immune from success or failure on the pitch. You know, you can you can reference a number of clubs in this regard. Hamburg, are the most mm. obvious one to me. Schalke are another one. Two mm. humongous clubs who, over the last fifteen twenty years, the people that run them haven't actually changed that much you know and I think basically what this Union Berlin chief executive here is saying is the DFB is no different in that regard because if you look at the people who have been running the DFB Bierhoff's probably the most obvious example of that I know he's not the very top dog there but he's obviously very uh, plays a huge role you know um, he's there regardless of success or failure 
And I think I don't think yeah. that's a DFB problem. I actually think that's like a German football culture thing, which maybe comes from just German corporate culture in general. Um, I don't know. You you'll be able to speak to that a lot more than I will because. I only lived mm. in the country for a certain period of time. I only have so much ex- experience with the German companies. Um, but I-, I think that's really interesting. So that's like the only other thing I'd really add to that. Yeah, I think you're quite right. I think the DFB, and a lot of people have to remember this too, the DFB is um, similarly structured than the German federal state, which is why it's called the, Ger- the Deutsche Fußballbund like similar to the Bundesrepublik, right? A federal government, uh, mm. which is very different than what's going on in the UK, for example, right? Mm. Um, but the Landesverbände, which is the different uh, regional football associations, it's kind of similar to anyone who watched uh, the FIFA Gate Netflix documentary and the voting thing, the way every association has like a voting right, right? The mm. DFB is almost like a mini version of that. <laughs> And that, that the different Landesverbände, so the different different uh, state level organizations, all have a vote, right? Which mm-hmm. is why you had a guy like uh, Rainer Koch, who was the head of the Bavarian Football Association, um, in there mingling in there for years, and he's kind of the equivalent of Jack Warner <laughs> for the <laughs> DFB, <laughs> but because it's a really powerful football association, right? within mm. Germany and these football associations have a lot of power and so it's not just the very top there but it's also these different associations below mm. and that can be a strength because these different football associations then have the power to navigate and work in um, and help the youth football right youth football development and that means different clubs single clubs within that entity have a lot of power in terms of voting upright but it also means that the bureaucratic processes can be longer. And then if you have a bunch of foul apples in there, they can mm-hmm. they will poison all the other apples. And um, it's really hard to reform because it's, just, it's a large entity. It's a, it's a body with 7 million members overall, right? And mm-hmm. it's the largest uh, football association in the world. So that makes the entire, the way it is operating, it, it, like everything in Germany, um, you live there, uh, I'm from there. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the strength comes from the Mittelstand, you know, the, mm. the, the, the fact that there's like a middle body that's very strong. There's not really big companies at the top and there's not very many small companies. There's the strong thing of middle companies, mm. which can be a strength, but can also be a weakness depending on what kind of situation you're in. And you're seeing sometimes when it t- comes to reforms, Germany is very slow. You see it yeah. with everything. You and I spend lots of time there stuck on trains because mm. <laughs> it takes Germany forever to reform something. The bonus is once something, once a reform process is started and fully underway, they usually do it quite well. It's just yeah. slower, but it's more thought through. And I think this is what we're seeing with the DFB. Um, I think a lot of the reform processes were started in 2018 when they exited the World Cup, right? Mm. Um, but these things take time. I remember when Germany exited the Euros in 2000, they somehow managed to reach the World Cup final in 2002. I think all the karma that they had then, they used it up for the, those two World Cups. I kid you not, because that mm. 2002 team was terrible. <laughs> but it took until 2000, even the 2006, uh, when Germany hosted, none of these players really were part of the reform process started in 2000. It wasn't really until 2010 mm. that it started to impact the way Germany was playing, right? Mm. So 10 years. A reform, and, a proper reform takes and 10 years. And not to mention that a lot of the players in that team 
wouldn't have actually been able to represent Germany if not for you know reforms and immigration law and you know dual yeah. citizenship and things years before yeah. that. So I mean, I know that's not really a footballing point, but it's also worth mentioning when you talk about bureaucracies and ref- and reforms. Mm-hmm. It's actually important that you bring it up because that was something that in 1998 France won the World Cup mm. with um, a bunch of players with an immigration background. Mm. That's when Germany looked at immigration law. Yeah. So that's actually, you know, and I, I think it's always interesting. The German national team is always kind of like a a very good representation of the country as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. In 1954, the Germany won the World Cup and it was on the back of the Wirtschaftswunder. In 1974, it was on, you know, Germany winning the World Cup because they were playing this beautiful, Gladbach and Bayern were playing this really beautiful football. Mm-hmm. In 1990, it was reunification. In 2014, it was the country becoming cosmopolitan. The exits, unfortunately, 2018 and 2018 and 2022, I think that is a symbol of stagnation that Germany has as a whole. After 16 years of Merkel, you know, the government is in a complete crisis mode because of what's going on in Russia and the banking on wrong economic partners. Mm. And so the German national team has always kind of been like a copy of what's going on in real life in Germany. And I think like everything else in Germany, everything right now is going to everything right now is being second guessed and looked at and changed. And I think this is what's going, going on with the national team as well. And it's going to take time. I think, um, Oh, I think, I think the only thing I'd really, I think the only thing I'd really add to that is just that, uh, I completely agree with you and you can even narrow it even further by saying the German national team is always going to be a reflection of how strong German football is. You know, that team that won the world cup was off the back of very strong, Bayern Munich and very strong Borussia Dortmund sides, you know, mm-hmm. two sides that got to the Champions League final. And of course that, you know, the Dortmund side got pulled apart, but at the time they were two very strong sides competing in German football. And, you know, even though Bayern Munich are still a very strong team at the moment, they're not really propped up by strong German players. Don't get me wrong. There are no. good German players on that team. You know, you've got Kimmich, you've got Musiala, you've got Goretzka, etc. But it's also a team that relies on a, almost an entirely French backline, you know, yeah. uh, and um, a non-German striker. So even looking at that Bayern Munich team highlights the problems that Germany have as a nation in terms of the players they produce. And the bigger issue, I think, as well, is it's something we've talked about as well, is the difference between what was happening when Germany won the World Cup and what's happening now is that the teams below Bayern Munich just aren't anywhere near the same level as that Dortmund side were. And, you know, and I think that's an issue as well. I think you have to look at the quality of the opposition in German in, in, in the Bundesliga and, you know, whether these teams are actually able to use German players to, you know, um, to, whether they're able to produce good enough German players to play in the German national team because if they're not, you then get situations where guys like Kai Havertz leave the Bundesliga and they end up at Chelsea and they end up a little lost and they're mm. not quite sure what's going to happen, you know. And there's are there's about three or four players in that national team who should be doing a lot better, but for one reason or another, their career hasn't gone quite the way it wanted to. But anyway, that's just a kind of final point on it. I think that just that I think yeah, the national team reflects on the the domestic, the health of the domestic league, and vice versa. And I think both of them are kinda. In the sense, in a sense, in a crisis, the national team one's very obvious because they've just failed. But 
I think, mm. and we talk about this on the show more often than not. So I th- I'd like to think our listeners are informed on these topics. But when it comes to, you know, fifty plus one, or the amount of money that the Bundesliga makes from TV rights compared to the Premier League, or the number of players leaving the league to go play in the Premier League, and how these teams get hollowed out, uh, the league is also, in a sense, in a crisis as well. So maybe and that's COVID why COVID really hurt too. Yeah, right. And, because and they were one of the last leagues with attendance back. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's why the DFL and the DFB are, you know, at each other's necks right now. Yeah, I also think that the one thing, and I think this is really important to add, um, I think this team is better than a group stage exit. And I think the team in 2018 was too. Um, the counterpoint to that is we had German national teams go all the way to the final that we really had no business being there. <laughs> <laughs> which um, which actually is an important point. And I mean, we kind of chatted a little bit about that in WhatsApp. I think the, all the underlying numbers show that this Germany team should have made it out of the group, right? Mm. That this team is better than the results. But the problem is too, that you don't have, and this is, you pointed this out, you have a lot of quality players that are not performing up to the highest level right now. Mm. And that is, a, that is a part of the problem, right? Why is it that a Kai Havertz is not performing to his level? Why is Julian Weigel one of the most promising midfielders that we had in a generation playing at Gladbach and is struggling there? Mm. Why is Julian Draxler now trying to resurrect his career at, at Benfica, right? There's so many players that are not even part of the squad, right, that are just trying, that seem almost like a lost generation in a way, even though they obviously have the talent. Like, I don't think these players are bad players. I think these players are actually really quite excellent. But for some odd reason, they just can't, they just don't perform. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that is actually needs to be part of this discussion. Is like, why are we producing good players that can't perform? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's something we're just going to have to keep an eye on as, as, uh, as this story unfolds, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. And I think... It's it's kind of good that we revisited this, um, you know, looking back. I think we can sort of say now that Donato Hoffman, she is at risk of losing her head, her, her position as president of the DFL. I think the DFB is going through in a complete reshuffling and crisis mode at the moment with everyone in question, including Oliver Bierhoff. Uh, Hansi Flick looks like he might be safe, mm. um, Stefan, because of the short time that Germany have from now until the euros right which is essentially just 18 months um i just had one final thought before we get going um and talk about some of this other stuff but if i had an ideal head coach and i spent some time thinking about you know who i would like to see take over the german national team louis van hall louis van hall uh, I think he'd be perfect. He's more German than Germans. Yeah, yeah. But he is like so different in his approach. And look what he's doing with this Dutch Dutch team. He's completely resurrected that country in terms of football. Hmm. And he's playing the way that Germany used to play. It's pragmatic, it's efficient, and it works. And they might go all the way out of the sky. Yeah, I think that's a nice idea. I think, unfortunately, Van Hal no, has no, his health happening. issues at the moment. Uh, yeah. and he's actually was linked with the Belgium job, I believe. Uh, I think he was maybe flirting with the idea at a press conference. Um, Need to step in and get him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm not quite sure he'd be the best long-term solution, but no, he's he's obviously it's it's nice to see him doing very well with the Netherlands. But um, 
no, it's it'd be really it'd be really interesting to see how what he could do with this team. Um, but I I think I think as you said, I think I don't think Flick's going anywhere. No, that's I just think. But you know, it doesn't need to be Van Hall. It needs to be someone like him. And I really remember Louis Van Hall invented more than Bayern Munich. Hmm. The way that Bayern Munich played under you know um, Heinkes and Pep Guardiola and all that, Van Hall invented that. Yeah, and you know he is. I know he doesn't have the best reputation because of his time at Manchester United in England, but I think he's an amazing head coach. That's just my final thoughts on this. <laughs> um, and I think Germany would do quite well under him. But okay, so um, speaking of head coaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about the Stuttgart thing first or the Dortmund thing first? Let's let's do Stuttgart, and then just oh yeah, and I need to do a correction from the last show. Um, as one of our listeners pointed out on Twitter, Warner Sosa and uh, Nicolas Gonzalez were signed by Reschke mm. and not Mislintat. Mm. So, well done. Thanks for pointing that out. Absolutely, one hundred percent spot on. Uh, that was my mistake. Um, and thanks, thanks for letting us know. I really appreciate it because if we get something wrong and you find out, um, like we're the first to to admit that we got something wrong. Um, so we got that wrong. But Mislantant no longer, um, Wimmer no longer, because Bruno Labbadia is becoming both sporting director and head coach. So it's a double recycling. What a guy! What a guy! <laughs> Two for the price of one. Yeah. Do you think? I don't know how. I feel. Do you think he just? Do you think maybe he just stopped by for a coffee one day, like he was visiting some family in Stuttgart? You know, he's obviously from the area, so he was just maybe visiting his mum or something, and he's like, "I'll pop by the old club, mm. see how everyone's doing." And he walked out thirty minutes later, and he's like, "Did I really just sign up to be the new sporting director and head coach?" So they just they're just handing out jobs there. Nobody wants to be in charge; they're just handing out jobs. It just most biz- nothing kind of screams. We don't know what we're doing. Quite like giving. A former, you know, I, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to say a former great or just like a, you know, a, a head coach who, with the greatest respects, probably over the hill in terms of what he's going to achieve in the game. Um, just giving him two, not one, but two jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was what I was kind of looking at uh, kickers' kind of coverage of this, and I was, thought it was quite interesting that they were basically saying that. They had initially gone for different head coaches. Uh, you know, they'd gone for Yes Thorup from Copenhagen and Alfred Schroeder from uh, uh, Ajax in October. But um, for one reason or another, those hadn't worked out. And then, you know, the interim head coach, Michael Wimmer, has actually done all right in the job. So he's stuck around. Um, mm. But... I don't know. I just don't know where to go with this, to be perfectly honest with you, because it just screams. So I need to make one small correction here. Like, apparently, the new sporting director is Fabian Wolgemuth from Paderborn. Right. And then, so, Labadia is going to... He's just a head coach. Yeah. Right. And wasn't he being linked as the sporting director a few weeks ago, or did I, have I completely misread this? He was originally supposed to be the sporting director. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm not going mad. Okay. No, you're not. So, you're good. <laughs> this is a changing situation. Like news are coming in as we record. Right. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's 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 very bizarre. It's and who knows what's happening in Stuttgart. And we've now we've now basically got a whole preseason and January transfer window, 
to go through, which will be actually quite interesting because it will give Stuttgart the time and the space to show us exactly what they what they are now. Mm. You know, they'll they'll, be, they'll have the time to to sell and buy players. They'll have the time to rebuild that squad if they can, or they'll have the time to completely implode. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to do with all their open transfer questions because I think now they need to bring in a guy who's basically starting from scratch, right? Mm. Um, and I know there is time. Uh, Volgemuth, Paderborn is actually one of the better run teams in German football. Um, yes. Uh, Grüsche came from there as well, right? Who was briefly at Leipzig and now in Frankfurt. Mm. Has done quite a good job there. Um so like this is one of the better run smaller teams in German football and they do tend to produce people that then go on and are successful elsewhere. Um, so that's that's a positive. I mean Steffen Baumgart from Köln was there as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a small club but they seem to be doing a lot of things right. And I'm just curious how Ah, Bruno. I like this image that you just produced. He's like just coming over for coffee and he probably sat down with Sami Kadira and Philip Lahm and um, we are now um, in consultation roles there, right? And he's like, oh, well, Bruno, why don't you do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, do you know, do you know what the crazy thing, the craziest thing about all this is? They've given him a three-year contract. Oh my God. There's no need for that contract. I mean, if it was Julian Nagelsmann Maybe you'd give him a long-term contract because you because you would think well it means if somebody comes and picks him up we get some compensation for it, but it just means they're now lumped with having to pay him for the next three years when they inevitably sack him in six months' time. And I'm trying to remember which club it was. Is it Schalke who are still currently paying their last three head coaches? Yeah, it's is it Schalke? Yeah, it's, and this is exactly they couldn't what... afford firing the head coach. Remember that? Yeah, and the, <laughs> but this, you know, this is what we talk about, though. This is what I was just saying in the last segment there about so many of these clubs are just so poorly mismanaged and nobody seems to get the sack for it. And this is a that we're we're now in real time watching this happen. You know, I mean, it would have been one thing if they were like, we're going to give it to Labadia to the end of the season because we went for a few head coach options, and you know, for one reason or another, they didn't want they didn't want to move to Stuttgart right now. So we know what Labadia is all about. He knows the club. He's a local guy. The fans still have some appreciation for him. Uh, you know, he's got an experience of fighting relegation, blah, 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 blah. Let's give him six months and just take it from there. Why the three years? <laughs> what? what? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, man, unless he obviously demanded it because he's like, well, when this all goes tits up, at least I get a payout. But I don't know. I don't know why. I'm not even a Stuttgart fan, but I'm getting so angry about this. Yeah, I don't understand what three years um, seems like a long time for a head coach at a club like Stuttgart. <laughs> I don't even think... It's just... I don't even think um, Eden Terzic and, you know, Marco Rosa, any of these guys have that contract. I don't know. Maybe even Julian Nagelsmann, actually. Yeah, most head coaches, uh, unless they put in a clause that they can get out of the contract. But, you know, like, what else bothers me about this is the people that he brings along. Mm. Uh, he brought on Bernhard Drares, former 1860 le- legend, played Libero there. Uh, I'm aging myself. And Benjamin Sachs. So, you know, people that have worked in this business for a long time. Mm. 
I get the whole idea of hiring uh, a Feuerwehrmann, as they call them in German, right? Mm -hmm. A firefighter. Mm -hmm. um, so these are these coaches that um, you bring in to rescue your club and then, you know, you move on to someone else. Peter Neuruhr was famous for this. It's kind of like the same as Sam Allardyce in England, right? <laughs> and Labadier has that has that reputation in Germany. But of course, to hire a firefighter for three years is not with the club, not not with the record that you have firing head coaches. It's maybe mm -hmm. not the best idea. This, this, this gets me back to the point that these teams just can't help themselves. No, they can't. You know, they, they just... Uh, if you were a real also, business, they would all, these all get fired. <laughs> yeah, and it also makes you think about the, the sporting director who they've hired, um, who, to all intents and purposes, has done a good job at Paderborn. Did he sign off on Labadea mm. becoming his head coach for the next three years because yeah, that a plays point. a huge that plays a huge that that's a critical part in the sporting project he's probably now in charge of running and you know he's like well what's the point in me you know scouting players developing players renovating the youth department if Bruno Labbadia is in charge for the next three years and I you know, but obviously being very hard on Labadia here, he could do a perfectly good job and he could save them from relegation and he might... But three years. Yeah, three <laughs> years. But that's the thing, like he could do a very good job and he could get them up to 10th maybe and, you know, the mid-table side. And at that point, you then offer him a new contract. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. There's just, there's, just nothing, there's just nothing about his recent positions in the Bundesliga that would suggest that he was deserving of a three-year contract. The only time he's done really well was the uh, Wolfsburg. Yeah. He got them into the um, Europa League, right? He rescued them and then got them into Europa League. And But even Wolfsburg only gave him then a one-year extension and then they moved on to Glasner, hmm. right? And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. A, a well-run organization... Here's what a well-run organization, and I think this is where you are spot on. A well-run organization hires their sporting director first, gives the sporting director a long-term contract, and then gives that sporting director the time to find the right head coach, right? Because of the way German clubs are structured, that's how it works. It's not like in England where the manager is. I, I think although in England increasingly the manager, there's some teams where the manager has less power now, right, than they used to. Yeah. But... In German football, the manager is essentially the sporting director and then the head coach just coaches. So what you do, a well-run club hires a sporting director, gives them all the power, and then that sporting director signs the players, brings in the right players, and then hires the head coach accordingly to that profile, right? So, and this is, I don't feel like that's what happened here. Mm. Just comes across as jobs for the boys. Yeah, you know who 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 knows anyone who'd be willing to take on this job? Like, oh well, Bruno will do it. You know, well, only if we give him a three-year contract. Like, oh well, that's fine. Don't we'll, we'll worry about that in two years' time. You know, I mean, what happens? This is the thing. What happens if Stuttgart, Stuttgart get relegated this season? Are they are they obliged to stick with Labadia? Because I guess so, unless there's a relegation clause. <sighs> Anyway, it's a very odd one. It, it's a very I'm, I I don't know if there's anything else I can add to it without getting angry. So I'm just maybe just gonna have to move on to the next. Okay, so one. while you're angry, let's talk about Dortmund. 
Oh, brilliant. That always, that always <laughs> calms me down. Um, reports. You can tell Germany's out of the national, out of the World Cup. Like the, the, all the media is now slowly but surely focusing back. First, your thoughts on Dortmund telling their national team players to go straight back to training after Germany's exit. That, that seems a little bit like Watzke to go to our first topic today. Already kind of like making power moves at the DFB. Yeah. Um, at least that's how it felt like for me. I don't know how it feels like for you. But I'm like, okay, here's here's a guy who wants to get more influence at the DFB. Kind of trying to lead by example. But also there's some reports that Eden Terzic, there's a lot of doubt now within the club about Eden Terzic. Surprise. <laughs> no one could, no one, no one saw this coming. Um I don't know. Just so the the fact that they're now ordering all their players back, you know, from on the backs of a poor World Cup performance. I also read, um, no, I didn't read. I heard from a source that Niklas Süle came to the Dortmund training camp this uh, this spring with 110 kilograms on the ribs. Mm. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of stuff just going wrong there. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a concern. I mean, <laughs> per Dortmund probably thought, you know, this is fantastic. The you know the season's up early. Uh, we can forget about that horrendous first half of the season, uh, and you know the staff, the head coach, the players aren't at the World Cup. We can all go off to Vietnam, take some time off, get out of the heat, and. They turn on the television for the first Germany game and it's just a conveyor belt of Dortmund mishaps in defence. You know, it's almost like Niklas Sula and Nico Schlotterbeck were almost this horrible duo from, you know, the gates of hell determined to, mm. to knock Germany at the World Cup single-handedly. And it has then led to basically, you know, so much pressure being, not so much, not technically pressure put on Dortmund per se, but it's obviously going to have a huge impact on what Dortmund fans think about that squad going into the second half of the season because they were two big marquee signings. We did a, we did like an emergency podcast when Sula joined for yeah. Dortmund because we thought it was such a big deal. Schlotterbeck as well, considered a huge big signing. And it's, it's not even so much that they're out of form, it's the fact that they've been at a Dortmund side chasing shadows for the, for the whole season because Dortmund are an absolute mess under Eden Terzic. So, it, you know, it's almost like all the chickens have come home to roost and all that's happened is that the misgivings and the mishaps in the Dortmund team have been exposed through the biggest spotlight that you can that you can shine on anything in, in football, which is the World Cup. Mm. And it's just kind of led to Dortmund, well, you know, once again, having to Dortmund all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just curious how, how are they going to react to everything that's been going on. Um, as you said, quite rightly, uh, I think they were probably hoping on the World Cup, fixing some of their problems. Um, and I mean, a lot of the things that I, I had a lot of people in, in my mentions say, this is Bayern's fault that Germany out of the World Cup early. I would actually say this is Dortmund's fault for not being strong enough um, because, you know, the Bayern players performed by far and large um, other than Neuer and the defenders in front of him, but which Sule and Schlotterbeck took a big part of. Um, 
But I think that, you know, for German football to be better, we need a stronger Borussia Dortmund and we need a Borussia Dortmund that makes right decisions. And I'm just not sure that Hans-Joachim Watzke has done a fantastic job fixing the club after they went almost bankrupt, led them to the titles in 2011 and 2012. But for the last 10 years, there hasn't been much to suggest that he is now the right person to lead the, 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 the DFB or the DFL. Mm. And um, you see that with decisions that are made within Borussia Dortmund, right? The Eden Terzic appointment was brought in for Marco Rose because Marco Rose didn't feel like he was uh, a proper part of the club and they, the feeling wasn't good. They, that, they made decisions based on... A, a, there was a gut gut-based decisions. That's not how you run a modern football organization. Mm. You don't run that on a gut-based decision. That gut-based decision led to Marco Rose being fired, Edin Tesic installed, and Marco Rose leading Leipzig to third place in the Bundesliga and possibly more, mm. right? You essentially strengthened your direct competitor because you woke up one morning and you had a gut feeling that it wasn't correct, that Marco Rose wasn't a good fit yeah. at your club. And by the way, the reason that Marco Rosa wasn't a good fit at Dortmund is the exact same reason that Thomas Tuchel wasn't a good fit uh, at Gut Dortmund. Feeling. Well, it's because they were pushing back against the club's overall business policy, which was we sign good, we sign young players and we sell them when we want to sell them, and we don't put a huge amount of effort and time into the kind of well, not that they don't put any effort and time in. I'm not suggesting that, but it it's very hard to be an ambitious head coach at Borussia Dortmund these days. You know, mm. and without because there's there's a there's an expectation that you have to spend money, you have to spend money to make money in in football. You have to, you know, fake it till you make it to extent to get up up the league tables. And every kind of ambitious head coach that Dortmund have hired since Jurgen Klopp um, has ended in failure because they just butt heads with that board for one reason yeah. or another. So. Eden Terzic, as we talked about um, um, at the time, was I called him a cheerleader. He's a, he's a, he was a club mm. cheerleader to a large extent, which is no, it's not really meant to be a disrespect to him as a head coach because it just points out that he's a novice head coach. He was hired well above his station, in my opinion. Um, yeah. And I had concerns that he was hired just because he was basically a yes man to that board because Dortmund can't hire head coaches who aren't yes men. Um, but they're now, as you said, we're now getting to a position where the last head coach they sacked, instead of moving to PSG or Chelsea, has moved to their direct competitors. And it's and, it's, and this is exactly what would have happened if Thomas Tuchel had moved to, I don't know, like Bayer Leverkusen or someone at the time and took them mm. up the table. Um, there'd be, there would have been pressure on the immediate successor, and that's what's now happening with Terzic. So, yeah. It, it seems like this was always inevitably going to happen. I don't really think they're going to sack him by any means, and I think they'll probably stick with him to the end of the season unless they, well, they start. they have to. Yeah. They um, put themselves in a position where they have to. They have to stick with him because he's their guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, there's, and, and, unless, and like you said, unless things drastically change during this kind of mid-season break, there's nothing to make me think that, you know, the Stormont team are going to improve anytime soon. You know, so the smart thing would have been to do it... To do it now mm. yeah and give a Replace new head coach now. at the time to... all the headlines are on germany and the national team and change it to dfb 
you could have released some press statement saying after long conversations, Adrian Tesic and Borussia Dortmund have come to the conclusion that it would it would be better to hand over the direction of the club to a fresh set of eyes and new hands. Adrian Tesic is going to move back into the echelons of Borussia Dortmund, work at the youth sector, the academy, mm. blah, blah, blah. Here, I wrote them the press release even. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, this would yeah. have been the time to do it. Yeah. You just sneak it in now. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said on the transfer podcast last week, they can then sign Jaden Sancho and all the problems would be fixed. Yeah, sign Sancho and a good head coach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we, this has been a great show. I think we've gone through a lot of different topics here. Um, I think we can now put a big check mark behind the World Cup. Um, we're going to slowly move back towards the um, the Bundesliga business again. Um, I think maybe do a midweek show for subscribers, Stefan, on some of the how, how some of the Bundesliga players that are not part of the Germany team. That could be a good idea. Mm. Look at some of them. Um, but yeah, please subscribe. Stefan's article is going to be out probably around the same time as this podcast. Mm. Um, then we're going to have a bonus show and I'm going to come up with a, a nice article um, so stay tuned for that the show as always is brought to you by Bet Online. any final thoughts before we wrap this up Stefan? No, just looking forward to the Bundesliga's return actually I'm also looking forward to a winter break which we should probably yeah. say we're probably going to take, we haven't really confirmed it yet so I'm not saying when but we will probably take a week or two off during Christmas um, and be back in time for next year but we'll let you guys know well in advance yeah, 100%. All right, that's that. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.